question number one. Have you ever had a time where you and God had a conversation and you're like, God, I'm giving you my body, eyes, ears, mouth, hands, feet. Use me. Here's my life. It's all yours. Have you ever done that? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. And you renew that. But have you ever had that like once and for all? Here's how you would know the rest of the chapter unfolds these things. Do you spend regular and repeated time with God and His Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to apply the Word of God in a way that literally transforms you from the inside out that makes you different than the people you work with? You're not better than them of yourself, but God literally, because you have these repeated, extended times with God just day after day after day, He transforms your thinking. You have a whole new way of thinking. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then we learn this. If we really gave our life to the Lord, then we will... I'm, I'm challenging you. Have you discovered your spiritual gift or gifts and are you humbly using them? And you'll hear that a little later in today's message as well because these same themes keep running through. The overarching theme of Romans 12 has been love. Genuine love. Check yourself. Not forced and faked. And okay, I remember that message. I've got to go back and start doing those things. When we really love, all of a sudden we give. We've been blessed. We heard that this morning. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Do you find yourself, I want to give to meet the needs of the saints. Do you find yourself being hospitable, reaching out to strangers and visitors, and I don't know why, I just love you, and like going over, what can we do for you? Bringing them in. Open hand, open heart, open home. Come on in the house. That's when love's real. Honoring one another. The passage kept going. We're reviewing the, the chapter this morning. Hate, evil, cling to the good. Serve God, but don't just serve Him. Serve Him with a boiling, fervent spirit. Like, do your best with excellence. It's God's work. Then we learn this. Do we rejoice in hope? Like, well, I hope so. No, hope is not something that I'm so much saying that we do. It's something we have. It's a confident expectation. This is not the end. And when I know that heaven is real and the glory of God is real and I'm going there because I put my faith and trust in Christ, all of a sudden I rejoice. And then that ends up strengthening you amid trials. And now you are patiently enduring and persevering amid difficulty. You have a strength about your Christian life. Where does that all come from? Being constant in prayer. And that takes us to verse 14 to 21 where we read last week. We said there would be three points. A godly response. You see your handout. Part two, a godly response. The emphasis here is it's going to have to be God that does these things because this is not our nature. No one in here by yourself can truly fulfill verses 14, 17 to 21, or even truly fulfill verses 15 and 16. So we want to read it all. We'll name last week's main point. We'll look at this week's two points. Verse 14. Warning again, this is impossible. Only God can do this in us, verse 14. Bless those. Here's what God tells us as His children. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Don't say it. Don't want it. Like, wow. Our text today. Rejoice. Grace for you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I'm pretty sure I'm the most squared away. I think I've got it together more than anybody I know. (laughs) Don't ever think that. You probably should know. I know I don't have it together. I hope other people have it together more than I do. That should be your thought. And then back to last week's text. This is hard. Repay no one evil for evil. Hey, they started it with repay no one evil for evil. But actually give thought to do what is honorable, right, beautiful, honorable in the sight of all. It does matter what other people see us do. If possible, because it's not always possible. We revisited this Wednesday night. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means there is a time that we don't live peaceably because God's truth has been compromised. Things are being done that are wrong and sinful. And so we're going to break the peace. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, there's this impossible person in my life, right? On your end, take care of your end. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. Why? Two reasons. It is written, vengeance is mine. It is not your place to do it. That belongs to God. That would be stealing from God if you retaliate and get vengeance on people. But the second reason is much more comforting. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me do this. I want to do this for you. To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't let it win. How? Overcome evil with good. They start with evil. We meet evil and hatred with love and goodness and kindness and blessing. Well, last week was a hard message, wasn't it? It's hard to live out. Only God could do this. You may recall, if you want to write this down. First point in these verses is a godly response to pain from others. A godly response to pain from others. It's going to happen. Human beings living among, among each other, we're sinful, we hurt each other, we do things against each other, sometimes mistakenly, we don't mean it, sometimes on purpose. And sometimes it's even ramped up in what's called religious persecution. That's all in that text from last week. Today's text, here's my preface, and we're going to jump right into the second point. Okay? Here's the overriding thought in today's passage. It's been there the whole time in chapter 12. You've got to get it. Here it comes. We, if you're a Christian, not just Graceview, but the church as a whole, we are a body in Christ. We are one body. We are a body in Christ, and that's going to affect both of today's points. Now, here's my last disclaimer. Back in January of 2017, I said as we were approaching Romans, there's going to be some things in this book that's going to challenge your faith and you're going to question and like, I don't even know if I like that. Some of you, I don't know if you remember, go check the tapes. I was giving these warnings because I knew some chapters were coming down the road and I know everybody was sitting there going, ah, I'm sure that's great. And we were going, God is always right even when it doesn't seem like He's right, even when it contradicts our logic. The Word of God is true and we're all sitting there like, yes, absolutely, that's great. Bam! And then we hit this certain section a few months ago and I know, What? Didn't know that was in the Bible. I don't like that. What does that mean? Can't mean that. Okay, so here's my disclaimer. 
I have no intention of making anyone angry today. But today's message is not going to be theological. It's going to be what I'm going to call pastoral. That's code for I'm going to get in the kitchen a little bit and we're going to rattle some pans. And I'm going to say it really nice. And I just hope everybody walks out of here still liking Jeff and hopefully loving Jeff. I really hope that happens. And if I'm, if I'm planning to say something I'm not supposed to say, I hope the Holy Spirit, A, stops it or just lets it fall on deaf ears. But if there is some truth and some just practical applications, you're probably sitting there saying, verse 15, 16, there's only like some short little things there. Surely there's not much in those verses. Oh, there's a lot, and we had to cut a lot out, and I've got to get on it because we've got a lot to say today. Just all I ask you want to get mad at me, before you get mad at me, stop and say, is it true? And was it said lovingly, the truth in love? If so, take it up with God, okay? Deal with God, if I can help you. If you're mad at me, please let me know. Not immediately. Go home, pray about it. If you still can't get by, I didn't like when you said, okay, well, let's talk about it. Maybe I was wrong. You can, we can talk. I'll be here all week at VBS. Come on out. We'll, we'll go out here and stand outside and we'll sweat under the oak tree, all right? Point number two. Here we go. Not only a godly response to pain from others, but number two, we need to have a godly, this God's going to have to do this because I can't. We need to have a godly response to joy and pain in others. Did you see that? Here, what's a godly response to pain from others? Now we need, what is a godly response to joy and pain in others? So pain from others, I need to respond, God, that's hard. I want to do these things. And they, they started it and they're in the wrong and I want to meet their evil with evil. No, no, no. We need a godly response. Well, what about when people we know, they're experiencing the joy and the pain? What's our godly response to them? If you want to write it down. Very simple. Today's notes are super, super simple. Very practical. But I hope you'll go home and just read these and say, is this me? Number one, we are to so associate with people, so connect with people. Literally, guys, what our text is saying is that their feelings affect our feelings. Whether joy, they're being joyous, it affects our joy. Whether sorrow and pain and weeping, that affects our emotions, our feelings. Are you that connected to people that their feelings affect your feelings. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Here's what it means, grace view. When some prosper and we hear about it and they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. Join in that. Yes, you're prospering. When some are in a trial and are hurting, we are to hurt with them. Literally, we are a body. Do you remember the last time you had an earache? You remember the last time you had an earache? You did not compartmentalize. Hey, how you doing? You know, I am awesome. Now, my ears got a little thing going on up here. I feel great. No, the whole, you're just like, oh, I just don't feel good. Like every time my heart beats, this thing is just, oh, I just feel terrible. Or a toothache, back pain. One part of the body is hurting, and you just like the whole body. When the taste buds are having an out-of-this-world experience, the whole body's like, this is good. We relate. Why? We are one body. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you're sitting there saying, Jeff, we're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. I'm struggling with this. I just, honestly, I just don't feel that connection. 
I'm going to borrow five out of seven things John Piper offers as to why we may struggle to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. What's my problem? What's going on? Check yourself. Evaluation number one. Is this possible? The reason we may struggle and not rejoice or weep with those who rejoice and weep is number one. We're glad they're weeping. We're mad they're rejoicing. I hope that's not you, but somebody here right now is, you're literally, you're thinking of a situation and someone is rejoicing and you're mad. You see that? What's the underlying thought? They've done something to you and look at them, they're over there having a good time and it makes you mad. Or someone's hurt you and they're over here hurting and weeping and you're like, good. You had it coming after what? I'm so glad that's happening. There's reason number one why we don't rejoice or sorrow. Reason number two he offers. This is a big one. So that first one has to do with what they did, and that's how we're responding, and it's in sin. doesn't line up with verses 14 to 21. But watch this second one. This has nothing to do with them. We don't rejoice or weep because we are too wrapped up in ourselves to rejoice or weep with others he says this we are so check yourself we are so self-oriented that what is happening in the hearts of others has no effect on us that's wonderful whatever's going on in your life this is my life I don't have time to rejoice or weep with you I'm self-oriented third reason you're going to say that sounds a lot like the first one it is different it's not that they've done anything to us watch the third reason he offers we are resentful or envious They have joy and we don't. It isn't that they've done anything. It's just I'm not joyful and they are and I'm kind of resentful of it and I'm envious. I want that. Envy makes it impossible for us to rejoice in their joy. He offers a fourth one. This is real. Fourth reason we may not rejoice or weep is because we are simply the kind of personality that doesn't have a discernible emotional life. Let that sink in. We have no emotional, discernible, no discernible emotional life. In other words, the reason we don't weep with those that weep and sorrow with those that sorrow is because we ourselves don't weep over anything and we don't get excited over anything. Literally nothing in our life moves. In. Don't you ever get like really excited in heaven? No. No. Just right there all the time. But doesn't something ever make you sad and like you get down and that hurts? No, I've got the wall up. Nothing ever saddens me, never, never makes me excited. I'm sure not getting excited about your things because I don't even really get excited. That's a sad place to be. And I think it's kind of related to the fifth one he offers. And this very well may be someone here this morning. The reason you don't rejoice or weep is because you may be depressed and temporarily numb in emotion. Would you look again at verse 15? Here's what the Bible calls us to do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I want to talk about both of those just for a moment. Let's take rejoice first, okay? Now, I hope nobody thinks me blasphemous. Somebody will take this little phrase the wrong way, but I fully stand by it. Simple, here it is. God is into having a good time. God's into having a good time. So if you were sitting there and you know that the lights were down low and 
and the music was going, and we're getting ready to start our service, and Chris was up here doing some little thing where he has some rhythm that I wasn't born with, right? And he's just kind of, you know, kind of like, and you're like, cut that out. We're in the house of God. I'm going to invite you, read the book. God is into having a good time. I want to get this across. God is not a thing. He's not a force. He's a person who has emotions, and that's why he made us with emotions. God invented having a good time. He's all about it. We could do a long list. I'm going to throw out four examples. You won't be able to write them down. Four examples. Read your Bible. God established three weeks for the Jews to set apart one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall. What do they do? Stop everything else, rest and feast and worship. Mandatory three vacations a year, stop doing all those things, worship me, get together, rest, chill out, eat lots of food. Isn't it kind of funny on our screens there? When is it? July 1st, there's going to be a ladies' class on fasting, and we're going to follow that with the barbecue, right? Okay, so go, <laughs> right? So our fasting, does, don't start fasting at noon on July 1st, because we're going to go over here and feast a little bit. And there is a time to fast. You know, if you read your Bible, here's what you find. When a sinner gets saved, she's not with us this morning. You'll hear more about it, I'm sure. Lady got saved Wednesday. Deanna was able to lead her to the Lord. She's been sitting right in this area for the last month. And the Bible says, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when a sinner gets saved. What does that mean? Rejoicing in the presence. You think the angels are? I'm, I'm assuming the angels are rejoicing. Who's this in the presence of the angels? I'll tell you who it is. God gets excited when sinners get saved. God's all about having a good time. He loves it. He invented it. He's very emotional. If, a, if an emotion is right to have, he has it in the right degree. I'm really going to offend some others, but I'll stand behind this. When you read the Gospels of the New Testament and there's a party... People want Jesus at it. There's a party. It's good. It's wholesome. It's right. Jesus is there. Like, no, no, no. No, no. Killjoy. And like, no, no, we're not supposed to have any fun. Okay. If you don't like having fun, you do not need to be here this week. Brandon has some plans. I know my personality. I don't know this for a fact, but I, I think we may find out what our sound system can do this week. I'm a little nervous about that. Brandon's not kidding. He's amped about this amped VBS, but it'll be substantial and not just showy and fluff. He's excited for a reason. Hey, heaven is full joy. Do you know it's kicked off with this event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb? You know, what, what do you think that means? I take it literally. There's going to be lots of food. Jesus, apparently, this makes me uncomfortable. He's going to gird himself, and he's going to start serving because he's the head servant, and those who are the chief among him, they're also servants, and we're going to be serving one another. There's this marriage supper. Good food. He gives, God gives the best parties because they have no guilt, no shame, no sin. They're pure. God loves having a good time. Here's what he's saying. Rejoice with people when they rejoice. It's not only okay, it's the right thing to do. Rejoice. But there's a problem. Sometimes selfishness and pride can keep us from truly rejoicing with the blessed in their joy. Why? We become envious. 
Let me just throw some things out. You ever noticed it? Here's when it shows up. Somebody gets a promotion. You didn't. They already gave you a promotion? Where I work, I've been there for three years. They gave you six months? Yeah, six months. Crazy. And a raise? I ain't had a raise. And all of a sudden, they, it's not their fault, right? It's like, I'm mad at you. What did I do? You got a promotion. I haven't had one. Selfishness and pride. Someone gets engaged. Someone gets married. Boy, I'm on a medal just for a second. I just, just, just so can, can relate. I don't know this to be true, and I have no one specific in mind. They say that new brides struggle going to the next wedding after theirs. Literally. Go and have good, and it's a good friend. that They got married back then. A few months later, they're going to somebody else's, and they go there, and it's like, I need to get out of here. Honey, you need to take me home. Wow, what's going on? They haven't even done the, haven't even done the cake yet. Just, I just need to, wow. Because I'm not the center of attention today, and I'm used to that, and I really liked it, and today she's the, uh, okay, calm down. Let's go to the car. Hey, guys, we've got to go. So, uh, stomach virus. Yeah, we've got to go. See ya. What is that? Someone has a child. They get a new car. How do you afford that? What do they make? What are they making over there? Well, no, no, I got a new car. They get a new house. You've been in the same one for a long time. They get a gift. They gave you what? They take a trip, and it's a good one. They receive recognition. You've been doing the same thing, and they actually get spoken of in front of everyone. And like, I've been doing that for a lot longer. You didn't say my name. They get an award, and we didn't, guys. I'm just telling you. There's rejoicing, and sometimes we're not part of it. Now, here's the hard thing. I'm going to get pastoral for a second. I'll do this a few times today. We really live in a most unique time, a most unique time with social media. I told you it's not going to be a lot of theology today. We're going to try to flesh this stuff out. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. We live in a unique time in social media because it allows us to know almost instantly the highs and the lows of so many people. Now, I don't have any social media other than texting. I have zero. But I know, you think about it. You guys can check on people's lives, 50 people in 20 minutes. Think about it. Never in the history of the world, you're like, yeah, well, there's the old grapevine. Grapevine, nothing. It's right out there for you. Bing, there's a tweet. There's a, what's it called? Instagram or Snapchat or something. I have no idea. Facebook, you, literally 50 people's lives. There's a high. They're celebrating. They're great. Uh, oh, this is a sorrow. Off it goes. And this can be a great thing or it can be a vice. So here's the test. I'm going to get real practical. I want to invite you, when you're doing this and you see some rejoicing and you see some going through sorrow, what is happening in your heart? That's the key. What's going on in your heart? And be honest. Real practical. If you find yourself reacting to someone's rejoicing with disdain or reacting to their sorrow with callous, or worse, pleasure, you have a major problem. So this is one of those times, I don't want you to get mad at me, but I'm going to offer it to you. Three practical steps. This is, you won't find these in the Bible. This is 2018. Three practical steps. You're like, you just described me. 
there's a certain person, and when they're rejoicing, it irritates me, and I start getting angry, and it takes me to a bad place, or this one over here is in sorrow and pain, and I kind of like to hear it. You've got a problem when I offer you three simple, practical things. Number one, first one. Do not lie before God by hitting the like icon when you know full well in your heart you're envy, bitter, and jealous. Don't do it. Well, everybody knows. They're looking to see if I'm going to like it. Don't you lie by hitting the like icon. That's a lie. Don't do it. Number two. This is really going to be like, okay, I'll stop hitting the like icon. Okay. I'll stop lying. I'll go remove some. Don't go remove them today. You're already out there. I'm don't... Uh, anyway, I don't know. You, th- you pray about that. <laughs> that would be bad. A bunch of grace view likes. Rem- I don't even know if you can remove them. I have no idea. I don't know the technology. Number two, you might actually need to discontinue your social media for a while. Like, oh, <laughs> that ain't happening. You might need to. What's going on in your heart? What's it doing to you? You say, what's the third thing? Discontinue. Don't lie. Discontinue until you can literally get with God and say, God, What is going on in my wicked heart that another part of the body is rejoicing and I can't rejoice with him and this part over here is hurting and I like it. God, what's wrong with me? Get off of it until you can get your heart right. Hey, thank you. I actually got some. Let it be duly noted. There were amens to that statement. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Go with me to John 11. John 11, several of us are doing this reading plan. Not starting in Matthew and going to Revelation. We're jumping around a bit. We're going through the New Testament this year. Was it just this week or last week? It was last week, I believe. We were in John 11. And this stood out to me. And it's a long passage. You remember this? Lazarus has died. So Lazarus' sisters are Mary and Martha. And Jesus loves all three of these people. And I believe Lazarus was a really good friend. And they sent word, Lazarus is really sick. You need to hurry. Jesus doesn't go. He intentionally delays. Let's Lazarus dies. And then he shows up. And he meets with Martha. I don't have time to read verses 17 to 27. But he meets with Martha separate. He hadn't even quite got to the town. They're two miles outside of Jerusalem. And then here comes Mary. So Martha runs back and says, Hey, the master, the teacher's looking for you. He wants you to come. So Mary goes. And Mary's followed by some other Jews who were also friends of the family. And they came to weep with her. And like, "Uh uh-oh, where's she going? She's probably going to the tomb. Let's go with her. And all of a sudden, really, she's going to meet up with Jesus. Verse 32. Again, their brother has died. She says the exact same thing that her sister said in the previous part of the chapter. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to Jesus, I'm sorry, when Mary came to where Jesus was, he hasn't even made it to the tomb. He's on his way, but he stops, wanting to just kind of meet with the family. Because it's going to get chaotic once Jesus gets there. So when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, This lady is often at this point, I notice this, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, and we know in a moment that she's already weeping, if you had been here, it's four days, he's been dead four days, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, watch what the Bible says, Jesus, our Lord, our example the Son of God, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He sees her crying. He sees them crying. And he said, where have you laid him? 
And just like you and I would do, you know how it is, there's a death and you don't know what to say, you're just trying to be close. The master wants to know something's just logistical and so they jump in. I, I can actually show you right up. So they said, Lord, come and see. Mary, don't you worry, we'll, we'll take him over here, we can handle this. Verse 35, shortest verse in scripture, but very powerful. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. They're watching Jesus weep. See how he loved him. I'm going to give my opinion, okay? I'm stepping back from the text. I'm pretty confident, though Jesus is no doubt sorrowful that Lazarus had to die, he is not weeping for Lazarus' death. Jesus knows where Lazarus' soul and spirit is. Jesus knows that he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to have to do this whole living life on earth thing again. And he's going to die again. I know what I'm getting ready to do with him. He's not sorrowing and weeping for Lazarus. You say, who do you think he's weeping and sorrowing for? I think it is for Martha, and I'm pretty sure it is for those who are with Mary, but I think the number one thing is he and Martha have already kind of had a theological thing, and I'm sure there were words of comfort, but when he sees Mary, I believe the youngest of the family, just weeping and crying, and like, man, Jesus. He's weeping with her, and everybody says, look how much he loved him. I think he's weeping for Mary and for you all, and like... He's hurting. Jesus hurts with people. I've got to ask you, how do you respond when you hear of people in plight and hurt and sorrow? You say, Jeff, sometimes I just hear about these names and they're just faceless and there's 20, 15, 20 prayer requests and I just can't keep up and I've got to tell you, my heart doesn't greatly move. I don't know them. I get that. I do. But what about your friends? What about our faith family? What about your neighbors? Do you rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep? Write it down. Pain is inescapable. It's inescapable. But often, God is heard best amid sorrow. And that's where we come in. You're going to hurt and I'm going to hurt and everybody around you, we are going to hurt. That is going to happen. It's inescapable, but it can be good. And you're writing that note say, wait, did he just say pain and sorrow can be good? Pain can be good because God can use pain and sorrow because often it's in the middle of pain and sorrow, we're really listening and we're really open to God. I mentioned this person the other day that got saved. I don't know what it is and I'm sure we'll talk about it in days to come and maybe Deanna will speak with her. Something's been going on in the life that's got this lady like... I need to go to church and God led her to Graceview and she's been hearing things and God's been working and Deanna made the statement, I've never seen someone so ready to be saved as this lady was Wednesday. God uses pain. John Newton in the song Amazing Grace helped me finish the line. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. I remember the night, I was a night, not perfectly, but I remember the night I'm a nine-year-old boy and I got saved, I'm going to tell I remember weeping and crying. Listen, it's the worst day of my life and it's the best day of my life. Sorrow and pain can be good. God can use you in it and sometimes it's just being there saying absolutely nothing or you want to know where the tomb is, I can actually do that. And other times it's just a word and other times it's, can we talk about this? God wants to use you weeping with those that weep. Now, I'm almost done with our first point, but I need to be pastoral one more time. Here we go. So don't get mad at me. 
Ready? So we're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're supposed to weep with those that weep. We're commanded to do that, but let's go on the other side for just a moment. Sometimes people make it very difficult to rejoice or sorrow with them. Now, right now, our minds are thinking about those other people, but let's check ourselves. You say, how would somebody make it difficult to sorrow or rejoice with them? How they rejoice in sorrow makes it hard. So here's the practical. Check yourself. If I'm out of line, get mad at me or pray for me. Here goes. Please don't take this wrongly, but I'm going to encourage you. Do not be known as a person who comes across as a joyless Christian. A joyless Christian is an oxymoron. That's a paradox. That doesn't go together. Christian, hear me. If you're a Christian, do not come across to people as a joyous Christian. You say, how would anybody do that? Watch. By turning every conversation to you or your families. Struggles. And if anybody's sitting there saying, I wonder if he's thinking about me. He's probably thinking about me. And I'm not thinking about you. Maybe somebody's sitting here going, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It may be because I'm in ministry. I don't know. But I, honestly, I'm just going to say this. I hope it doesn't come across as self-serving. I think there are some folks, if I were to see them once a week and have a conversation with them every week, 52 times a year... I dare say 45 out of 52 times it's going to go toward their struggles either in the physical world or in the financial arena, them or their family. I'm going to encourage you not to do that. We are to bear one another's burdens. But reality is some people are like the boy who cried wolf. I'm not getting any amens and that's okay. This isn't a real amen. But I hope inside, I hope inside you're going like, you say, what do you mean the boy that cried wolf? He cries wolf, wolf, wolf. He just wants enough people going to come and run and check. There was no wolf. And then cry wolf again. Next I have wolf's here. Oh, help, help. Everybody comes out. I'm like, oh, there's no wolf. Okay, I was just checking to make sure. That... And then the next time, wolf, there's a wolf. And here they come. There's no wolf. And then finally the wolf comes and it really is bad. And he cries out and everybody goes, ah, that's just him. That's what he does. There he goes again. Don't be the person. Here's the thing. Don't be identified as a person of sorrow. Don't let that become your identity. A lot of people are known as that. Sorrow instead of joy is their identity. I'm just telling you, this is a practical, I just want to help you. It can repel people, and I've seen it repel people. And you're wondering, like, here I come. Welcome, everybody's going there. Okay, maybe they know where the conversation's going. Like, here they come, open up, and they're a receptacle, and you start, boy, this, I'm, I hope I don't regret saying these things. Yeah. It's true. Write this down. Jesus, who our example, I believe lived a perfect balance. As a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, he knows everything. He knows about heaven and hell. He knows about pain and death. And he knows about joy and elation. But I stand by this note. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But he was essentially a person of joy. And I'm going to give you the clue. In the New Testament, here's your clue. He attracts people. People go to Jesus. They don't go away from Jesus. If he was only a man of sorrow, yes, he knows about sin. He will be the sin bearer. 
But people go to him. He's a joyful person that can also relate in sorrow. He's ready to rejoice and he's ready to weep. And he's right in the middle and he can relate. But he's not just one at the expense of the other. Now the next thing I'm going to say, I probably will make people most angry on this one. Do not rejoice obnoxiously. Sometimes it's hard to sorrow with people because that's all they're about. And sometimes it's hard to rejoice with people because they're so obnoxious. You know what I'm talking about? Everything they do, they want everybody to know. And look at me. That's actually the less. It's this one. They're kids. The way they celebrate and obnoxiously to celebrate their kids. And it's all and it really just too much. Stop it. Okay, we got it the 12th time. Here it comes. They're obnoxious in how they celebrate their ball team, their sports team. Many live vicariously through their children. Many do. And a lot of us live vicariously through our sports team. And I'll give you our clue. Here's how you can tell us. We go around saying we. We got a big game Friday. Yeah, we lost last night. Ha <laughs> ha, we beat you. Meanwhile, how many points have you scored? Oh, I'm not on. Well, remember that. You're not on the team. You're not, just saying. You had nothing to do with it. Don't amen here. You can agree inwardly because it's true. There's a lot of obnoxious North Carolina Tar Heel fans. A lot of them. I've read the threads. I've read the threads pre-game and post-game. Like, why are you? Oh. And I hope I'm not one. I really do. I hope I'm not one. But I want to let you in on a little secret. There's a lot of obnoxious Golden State Warrior fans and there's a lot of obnoxious Cleveland Cavalier fans. There's a lot of obnoxious Georgia Bulldog fans. And there's a lot of obnoxious South Carolina Gamecock fans. And believe it or not, there are some obnoxious Clemson fans. And if you, seriously, if you think, no, 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 our fan base, you're kidding yourself. You're dreaming. Oh, no, no, our fan base, we're classy. Yeah, right. Ask everybody else around. It's not true. Don't you be that one. I'm going to tell you what I love. And I'm just like, man, this, does this have anything to do with Romans? It does. I promise it does. I believe it does. I mean, man, I'm used to theology from this guy. Jeff is totally different today. You know what I appreciate? Our rival, I'm in North Carolina, right? Our rival is Duke. I really appreciate when I come across a Duke fan... And when Duke does well, I'll just tell you straight up, I don't pull for Duke. I pull against Duke. They're our rival. But I really like, because when Duke does well, which is like 95% of the time, they're just good. They're just good. I like when I can in my heart feel good for other Duke fans. I, I think of Brittany. She's a Duke fan, and she has a great spirit. I'm thinking of a young man, a former student of mine. His name's Nathan Nathan Farmer and I, we can get together and we could just talk about Duke and North Carolina. I'm telling you, we'll start and it'll be 30 minutes later. We're talking about players and positions and plays and schedule and recruits and recruiting classes. Next thing you know, 30 minutes gone by. I like when Duke does well. In my heart, I can at least say, well, good thing is old Nathan's probably happy because he has a right spirit. Don't be obnoxious in your rejoicing. Don't make it hard on people to rejoice with you. And there's a time to rejoice. Hey, your team wins. Some of you did a couple of years ago. 
rejoice. You're looking good this coming year. Don't be obnoxious. And don't sorrow in a way that it's your identity. There, got that one out of the way. Point three, let's go. Not only a godly response to pain from others and a godly response to joy and pain in others, but verse 16, I think, has this theme all through it, a godly view of ourselves toward others. We need a godly view, and it's going to take God to do this, a godly view of ourselves toward others. Look at verse 16. I'm back in Romans. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Let's start right there. Two points under this, this point. A godly view of ourselves toward others in relation to others. What's a godly view? Live in harmony. The Bible says live in harmony with one another. Now right here, um, again, I'm telling you, it's all through this message. I don't know why. Hopefully the Lord put it all in one message. And next week I can be kind of not controversial. Actually it is because we're going to be talking about the government. And that's going to be a little controversial. <laughs> Lord just going to have to help us. Live in harmony. All right. Going to get pastoral again. This phrase and this verse reminds us again, as I started, that the church is a body that is supposed to be connected. So here's my question. Regular attender of Grace View, are you connecting to the body? Because, not being mean, I'm asking you to check yourself. I can promise you, the Lord knows my heart. I have no one in mind here. I think there are two convoluted, distorted views of church. Here's the first one. I've got to go fast. First, convoluted, distorted view of church. Here it is. Church is a place merely to walk in once a week, sing some songs, drop some money off, and hear a sermon. Catch it? If you're sitting there going, yeah, that's church. You just said it. That's church. Got it? Walk in once a week, sing some songs, drop some money off, hear a sermon, take off. That's all it is in some people's minds. You say, what's wrong with that? There was no connection made to God's people and there sure was no service toward God's people. I know this isn't a feel-good sermon today, but this is one of those that were in line with the text. Do you time it where you get here at 1028 and you leave two minutes after the amen has said at 12-something? Okay? Is that you? I'm not being mean, but I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to ask you, take this to the Lord. Lord, is this me? Do I just kind of fly in, go through the motions, make no connections, and go out? But I, I paid, and I listened, and I came. Check, check, check. That's not what this verse is talk, calling for. Live in harmony with one another. Now, here's the other one. Here's the other one. It's slightly different. Watch this. And this one, I'm going to sound self-serving, but the Lord knows my heart. I want it to be healthy, not a self-serving statement. Here it comes. Others also have a distorted view, but here's what they seek. Watch. They do seek a connection. Note. A connection. One connection. With someone they see as prominent. It could be the senior pastor, but it doesn't have to be the senior pastor. It might be the pastor's wife. It might be the worship leader. It might be their life group leader. Someone prominent. They come to church and they do everything that the other group did, but it's like they sense there's a cord between them and as long as, you know, as I get some time spent with the pastor, then that was a successful day. I only need like to spend time with him or with her or one of these other people. And if you're thinking, what's wrong with that? You won't see it, but I think last night I drew these circles, right? 
So this circle here looks like a wheel with spokes and it has a hub. This one circle over here looks like a spider web. Neither one of these are great illustrations, but I hope if you'll put that in your mind, you'll get the point that I'm trying to make. If someone comes to the house of God, the family of God, and we're just being practical today, this ain't greatly theological, practical is what it is. If they come to the house of God thinking, I need every week, I need to make a contact with that person, whoever it may be, and if that doesn't happen, that wasn't a bad week, and it might even meet, lead to some being upset with that person. Here's what I've concluded. One, it's impossible to do that. Number two, it's unfair expectation. Number three, that's very incomplete. And most of all, it's unhealthy. It is unhealthy view. If you're in a home Bible study, a home fellowship, and there's five in that, you can go there and have your person, and they have time to make five, six, seven-minute connection with everybody there, come 30 minutes early, maybe spend 30 minutes late. That is fine. But if you'll stop and think, once it gets up to 10 or 12, that's now getting very difficult. And if you have that expectation, if everyone had that expectation, you could see it quickly becomes impossible, much less among 50 people or 100 or 150 or 200 or 225 like might be sitting here or down this hallway today. And I promise you in my heart I'm not saying this for my sake or for anyone else's sake. The first picture is this. There's the pastor or whoever the other person may be. They're the hub and there's all these spokes and this person sees themselves as one of the spokes. That is not biblical. The other model, if you would see it this way, the pastor is the hub? That is so twisted. The pastors, the elders, Sunday school leaders, worship leaders, pastors, wife, they're just literally one person among the family. They're only one. The hub is Christ. Everyone needs to be running a line to Christ and then running all these other lines to each other so it is not perfect illustration. Much more like a web, a grapevine, rather than a direct, I've got my spoke and you need to meet my needs. And I gauge my church by did that that one person meet my needs and when they stop I'm going to another place where they will good luck it's unhealthy it's not right write this down verse 16 let's write it down live in harmony with one another what does it mean we're going to write it and then I want to just emphasize it for a moment it means actually we are to grow together in the faith see this the word of God We are to grow, so grow together in the faith and so grow toward Christ. We're all growing toward Christ to such a degree that we literally start thinking alike. And I'm not talking about sports and clothing and styles of music and books. I'm saying doctrinally, we just get together and we're just growing in the Word of God. It's affecting us. We're being less conformed to the world. We're being transformed and renewed. We're starting thinking alike. And all of a sudden, we now live with the same purposes. So here's my question. Are you so connected to the body of Christ at Graceview that our purposes are your purposes because they are the purposes of the Scripture? That's what it's calling for. Live in harmony with one another. Think alike about the things of God. Have the same desires. Go the same direction. If you're sitting here saying, I think I'm one of those that's not very connected or I have a convoluted view of church, Please hear me right here. I'll tell you where to start. This is a practical step. Go to life group, a.k.a. Sunday school. Try it. Try one or two. Get connected with multiple people. Do you know there are people that say they'll go to a church eight, nine years, and you start asking them, they can't name ten people they know at that church. Something is bad wrong in that. 
Oh, boy. All right, here we go. Number two. Second thought under this third point is this. Not only live in harmony, but live in humility. Live in humility. Verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live in humility. Boy, I hope no one's insulted. I'm not going to ask you if you struggle with pride. I'm going to assume we all struggle with pride. And the person who's sitting there right now, literally wondering if they might just be the exception to that statement, is the most blind. He says everyone's struggling. He's assuming we all, you know, I don't know that pride is my thing. I'm pretty sure it isn't. Would you write this down? I don't, I, by the way, I, I don't know who to give credit to. I heard this years ago and it stuck and I wish I could give credit. I, it might be William Barclay, maybe. We need God's help because I'm going to tell you, pride is our innermost garment. What do you mean innermost garment? I'm wearing a t-shirt here, right? Pride is our innermost garment. It's the first one on and it's the last one off. So what does that mean? Pride begins in childhood. We're born with it. We're born selfish. I don't care what the rest of you do. We're trying to sleep. I don't care. I'm hungry. And we wail and scream and cry. And it continues as we get a little bit older. And it doesn't take long. We're not even in school yet. Or maybe just getting in school. We start noticing who has the most athletic prowess. And we're proud about it or we're envious of it, which is also a form of pride. And then once we get in school, it continues because now we start noticing who the smart ones are. And they're being elevated and others are being envious of that. And then we start noticing who's the prettiest and who's, who's the cutest. And pride continues to develop. And for this illustration, I'm telling you, we could go on and on and on and dig in, but I'm going to book in. It starts as childhood. It's the first thing we put on. Pride is the last thing that we take off in life. Keeping with the school theme, class reunions. Should be, by the way, I've only had one. I graduated from a whopping class of four from a little Christian school in Swannanoa, North Carolina. Four graduates. I'm 25% of the graduating class. We've only gotten together one other time. But class reunions, what's that supposed to be? What's the whole point? Get together, reunite, hadn't seen you in a long time. How's it going? They can quickly degenerate into what? Time to go compare. Let's go see who's winning. And it turns into a time of boasting of achievements. See who's winning the wealth and possessions battle. Who has the best marriages? How did he get her? He didn't know why. I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. Boy, he really outpunted his coverage. How did he get her? Which is what people say about me. <laughs> children. Who's winning the battle of the children? They've got the most talented and the most achieving kids. What's wrong with our kids? <laughs> and then the one that trumps them all. Here it is. Who's winning the youthful looks battle? Can you believe how good she looks? Girl, you know it's fake. What do you mean? <laughs> she looked better now than she did five years ago. Just add it up. I'm just saying. If I had that money, I could probably look like that too. Y'all know what I'm saying is the truth. Reunions, we just want to get together. It turns into competition. Pride, pride, pride. It's terrible. 
Sanctification, I believe in sanctification. Here's the wonderful thing. I'm going to weave back and forth. I know I'm meddling a little bit. Sanctification is wonderful. I believe in guaranteed sanctification. Someone's really born again. They are going to become more and more like Christ. If sanctification is the process of going through life and it's the peeling away of the old nature, in your 20s, the Lord ridded you of that. In your 30s, the Lord pulled that away and now you have victory. In 40s and 50s, and now you're at a point in life, God's really starting to work. I didn't even know this was this big a deal. And God's like, it's time to work on this. The wonderful thing is you're becoming more and more like Christ. But here's the problem. Here comes pride and pride whispers. Look how holy you've become compared to everybody else. Yeah, you're right. You don't do that anymore. And look, you do this. Not many people do that. Make sure everybody knows that you're doing these things. Pride. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty. So if we've missed it, in case we've missed it, let's write it down. What is pride? Pride focuses on self. There it is. Pride is just to focus on self. I'll give you two extremes in your note. It may focus on its own superiority. You're like, that is pride. They're over there just focusing and gloating on how they're better than everybody else. It may focus on its own superiority or it may focus on its shortcomings. You say, oh no, focus on shortcomings, that's not pride. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Either way, pride focuses on self. Oh, no, no, in my humility, I'm focusing how far short I'm falling. No, 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 you're focusing on yourself, and you might just be fishing for pity from everybody else. By the way, religious pride makes its way into every church in Anderson County every week. And boy, I sound like a mean preacher today. You say, what are you talking about? Religious pride. I'll I'll give you six. You ready? Religious pride keeps many people from praising God freely. They're in the song service. They're just starting to get into it. And they're almost ready to just really block everybody else, just them and the Lord. And right before that, they remember, somebody might see me. I got to dial it back in. Here's one. Pride causes you to get nervous when you're asked to pray in public. That's pride. Say, really? Pride will cause you, when you're asked to pray in public, to not really talk to God and all of a sudden start formulating sentences and paragraphs in your mind that's going to impress everybody else. Good luck. If you do, you have your reward here. You weren't talking to God. It's pride. Pride causes you to walk into the house of God and start measuring everybody by yourself or your selective standards where you get to pick which standards and you'll pick the ones that you're the strongest in. Pride will cause people to praise God. To be seen. To pray. To be heard. To give. To be noted. Pride. Look at verse 16. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I love this quote. It's my favorite one in this message. Probably a top ten, easily a top ten quote ever that I've ever heard. It comes from a man named Keith Brooks. I don't know if he's fundamentally sound or not. This is a great quote. What we need is humility. And he writes, quote... Humility does not consist simply in thinking cheaply of oneself. So if you're sitting here saying, all right, I've got to start thinking. I've got to stop thinking all these good things about myself. I'll start thinking all these horrible things about myself. Wrong answer. That's not humility. He is so right. Humility does not consist simply in thinking cheaply of oneself so much as in not 
thinking of oneself at all and of thinking of Christ more and more. That is humility. This man gets it. It isn't beating yourself up how terrible I am. No, you need an identity of who you are in Christ knowing that you fail and we all make mistakes and it's only by His grace we're going to heaven, only by His grace that we get to serve. But you sure don't go over here and like gloat over accomplishments. What you do is just like, I really don't have time to focus on that. I like think about Jesus. I just want to focus on Christ. Not in your notes, another great quote by a man named Watchman Nee. He said the following, quote, Genuine humility is unconscious. Genuine humility is unconscious. Further in this quote. God's workmen must be so emptied of self that they're unconsciously humble. I'm going to propose to you, that's the end of his quote, I'm going to propose to you that a truly humble person has no idea they are that. And they really, not all the time because we're all human, but they, they only care about this. Is Christ recognized? Is Christ praised? Only care about Him being praised. Only care about praise from Him. That's nice. It's all about Him. That's humility. So let me give these and we'll be done. What do these words mean? Do not be haughty. See, I think I know what it means. But if you study it out, I want to give you a specific meaning. Here's what it means. The phrase, do not be haughty. So please hear this. I'm going to rush here, but I'm going to invite you to really... Evaluate this. Put this into your life. Do not be haughty means you've got to fight. Keep our thoughts from pride by not allowing ourselves to daydream about the spotlight or being chief of something. I'm going to say it again. Please test yourself. Not being haughty means don't let your mind, because it wants to go there and it wants to make you the hero or even the victim in your daydreams. Why would anybody want to be the victim? Because they get pity from people. Well, that one's not as fun. I want to be the hero. Don't let yourself dream about the spotlight or being the chief of something. Hear the whole thing I want to say. God may determine to put you in a spotlight. He may make you the chief of something, but in your heart, don't you let that be your motivation. That's God's business. God decides. I've got something for you. I'm just telling you. You're going to, okay, God. God, man, this past week, I was with a couple of guys, and I don't know their whole journey. I just sat there, and I just shut up like I needed to because I got a lesson in humility. I was seeing it. I was hearing it. And, and I know that they were admitting struggles in an area, but it's like, it's real. It's true. It's a struggle. And God moves us along in our sanctification. Last thought we need to develop here, just for a moment. Associate with the lowly. What does that mean? Notice what the verse says. Paul says, associate with the lowly. Grace for you, grace for you, listen. Associate with the lowly. That can mean one of two things. It can mean associate with lowly tasks, or it can mean associate with lowly people. And I need to hit both briefly, the task especially briefly. Associate with lowly tasks. Everybody ask yourself this. Check yourself. Are you willing to do the lowest jobs? Be willing to do the lowest jobs. At home, is there a job you're too good for? At work, is there a job that's beneath you? I don't do that. They can do that. I don't do that. In the house of God, is there a ministry that your attitude is, I don't do that. That's beneath me. I only do these other things, spotlight things. I only do those. 
You're falling prey to being haughty. You're not associating with the lowly task. It's pride. Leave Romans. Go to James 2. I'd like you to go there if possible. If you have a Bible, you've got it on your phone. I really like having my own copy of the Word of God. James chapter 2. Associate with the lowly tasks and associate with lowly people. This is so easy to picture as James unfolds it for us. Verse 1 of chapter 2. My brothers, grace for you that hear this this morning as the Word of God to us. It's in the spirit of Romans 12, 16. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. Picture it. Picture the first century church. They didn't have churches. They had houses. And there's limited seating, no doubt. There's limited seating and God's blessing in this town or this city, wherever James is picturing. Bottom line, it applies everywhere. There's limited seating. Get that. It's just houses. Verse 2. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, literally in a day where people were praying for daily bread, God, I need today's bread. We don't have anything for tomorrow, but Lord, would you feed us today? This person has multiple changes of clothes. They have really nice clothes. They have not just silver. They have so much gold, they wear it as a decoration. They're loaded in this day. They drive up into Graceview's parking lot. Praise the Lord, they're blessed in a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. Hasn't happened since I've been here, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Door doesn't open this way, flies up. What in the world? And they get out, man. They are, they, cars a quarter million dollars. They look like a million dollars. And they walk in our door and like, dude, did you see that? Man, who's that? Hey, run and get Jeff. Hurry. Tell him stop studying and praying. We've got somebody. We've got a big wig out here today. Tell them, get in here. So that's happening. But also, literally right behind them, a poor man, James says, in shabby clothing, one change of clothes, and man, they're tattered and they stink. Shabby clothing also comes in. James preaches at us. He says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Hey, we've got a seat for you. Which way do you want to see? You want to sit over here? You want to sit up there? You want to sit close? You want to sit in the back? All right, over there. It's fine. Hey, it's, move them. Get out of the way. Sit right here. Very good to have you today. You sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Hey, you don't mind standing, do you? You see, we've got, oh, no, no, sir, that's fine. I'll, I'll stand over here. Or sit down at my feet. Hey, man, you don't mind sitting on the floor, do you? Oh, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll sit on the floor. Have you not then made distinctions? Have you not made mental groups and ranks mentally? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Grace for you. You're good at it, by the way. I don't know why I'm shouting at you because you're really good at this. I'm shouting because don't ever let it start happening. Have no ranks, no mental ranks, no groupings, no distinctions based on these things. Intellect. Boy, I really like them. They're really smart. That's the kind of people we want around here. No. By the way, smart people, we do want you here. I said that wrong. Not only you smart people, and I'm certainly not in that category, by wealth or race or physical makeup, boy, they look great. We really want them here. Or social status, and not on your list, personality. Boy, they got the just right kind of personality. You say, Jeff, why are you so fervent about this? 
I promise you, I have seen this. I've seen, I've seen with my own eyes religious leaders break their normal pattern and make a beeline for people who they think are the big fish in the kingdom of God, bypassing all the small fish they have nothing to do with week after week. And it makes me sick. Don't ever do it. Don't do it. There are no big fish. There are no small fish. There's the people of God. We don't like elevate. This is the kind of people we want here. We want God's people here. We want sinners to come through our door who are ready to hear about Christ so they can be saved as well. I've got to hurry up. I'm almost done. Do you know the early church was the only place a master, watch this, a master and a slave. By the way, slaves in, the, in this time period weren't African. It's just people from other kingdoms. They might be African, so we have a mindset here and it applies here. In our country. But if you were to go back and study the early church, watch. Masters and slaves. At the market, they would not be equals. They stay apart from each other. At a table, the master sits. The servants serve. Down in a court, the master literally gets much better treatment. The servant, the slaves, bond servants have no rights. But when they come to the house of God, I'm telling you, read the New Testament. William Barclay did share something. It was too long for me to remember, but there was a man who was well. He tells the story of a man who was well-to-do, and he comes in, and the leader says, why don't you sit right there? And he's like, oh, no, sir, that's where my servant's sitting. Can I have another spot? Sir, would you please sit right there? You don't understand. This is where my servant, I can't, sir, would you please sit right there? After the third time, the man finally realized, we're on equal footing. I'm no better and he's no better. Grace, for you, are you tempted? Check your individual heart. Are you tempted to think of people as lowly because of their appearance? Because of their intellect, their talent, or their wealth, or lack of wealth? Their age? I didn't say that. Uh, that's old people. Them kids. Somebody needs to do something about all these kids. Their personality. Do you see some people as lowly because of their personality? You've got to hear what I'm saying. We are not to make distinctions. We are to associate, hear my wording, with the perceived lowly because we don't think that way. Associate. Don't only be willing to associate with them. Hear me. Be willing to be associated with the lowly or the perceived lowly. You say, Jeff, twice. Why have you used the word perceived lowly? Because eternity, I'm confident, very well may reveal that that poor person, that young person, young people, that old person, that unattractive person, that simple person may outrank us all when we get to heaven when it really matters. Be careful how you treat people. Last verse on the screen. Jesus makes a confident promise. It's Matthew 23. Look at verse 12. Look at it. God says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Look at it again. This is God's word. It has to happen. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, Jesus is making a confident promise. Whatever position you take on earth, he's going to reverse it in the next life. If you elevate yourself in your thought and in your actions, you will be brought low. If you humble yourself in your thought and in your actions, Jesus says, I'll raise you up. 
The choice is yours. It's about your faith. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe this verse? If you say, I really do believe this is going to happen, humble yourself. Fight against pride. Don't be haughty. Meditate on Christ. Focus on Him, not on yourself, not on your shortcomings, not on your superiority. Focus on Christ and serve His people. You'll be exalted. Would you bow your head just for a moment?